On today's Truth Factor discussion, we're going to take a simple look at Acts chapter 23. Um, we are a little bit late in starting because for the last several weeks, Google Hangouts has been very poor quality. So this morning we are experimenting with Zoom. A lot of people use Zoom, and so Zoom will allow us to Zoom. But our time limit is a little bit uh, restrictive this morning because we're just sampling it at the moment. So we'll see if we can get this done here within the next 30 minutes. Acts 23 is real simple. And so, Paul, if you would take a moment, let everybody know how they can participate in today's study. Certainly. On all of the social media, the, the thing you want to search for is Truth Factor Live. That's on Facebook, uh, on Twitter, on YouTube. Uh, search for Truth Factor Live, or you can go to our uh, page, which is truthfactor.com, or I think we now we have truthfactor.live. And so either one of those, and look at the live viewing page, and that will get you to where you need to be. Maybe you have a comment or a question, and, and you can use the different uh, chat methods there. I, I can tell you that the one that YouTube uses is very easy to use, as long as you have a YouTube account, and you can make a comment or ask a question. We'll bring that in and introduce that. It may be that you would have a uh, question you'd like to email, and you can send that to questions at truthfactor.com. That's questions at truthfactor.com. Or if you wanted to interact with one of us personally, uh, you can certainly send, like to me, to paul at truthfactor.com, john at truthfactor.com, mike at truthfactor.com, or tom at truthfactor.com, and you can email us in that way. And so we look forward to a study today. We look forward to your participation as we gather together and, and join in a study of God's Word today. Thank you, Paul. I appreciate that. Let's go ahead and step into Acts chapter 23. And let me get up on the screen over here. And Mike, I'm going to have you, if you would, sir, to go ahead and read for us this particular section, which is going to be Acts chapter 23. And let's read down through verse 10, I think. Is that what I've got? No. We're going to start Acts chapter 22, verse 30. And if you would, read down through verse 11. And I have... Can do. You got that? All right, thanks, Mike. Can do. The next day, because he wanted to know for certain why he was accused of the Jews... Released him from his bonds and commanded the chief priest and all the and all their council to appear and brought Paul down and set him before them. Then Paul, looking earnestly at the council, said, "Men and brethren, I've lived in all good conscience before God unto this day." The high priest Ananias commanded those who stood by him to strike him on the mouth. Then Paul said to him, "God will strike you." you whitewashed wall, for you sit to judge me according to the law, and do you command me to be struck contrary to the law? And those who stood by said, Do you revile God's high priest? Paul said, I did not know, brethren, that he was the high priest, for it is written, You should not speak evil of a ruler of your people. But when Paul perceived that one part were Sadducees and the other Pharisees, he cried out in the council, men and brethren, I am a Pharisee, the son concerning the hope and resurrection of the dead, I am being judged. And when he had said this, a dissension arose between the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and the assembly was divided. 
The Sadducees say that there is no resurrection and no angel or spirit. But the Pharisees confessed both. There arose then an, a loud outcry, and the scribes and the Pharisees partly arose and protested, saying, We find no evil in this man. But if a spirit or an angel has spoken to him, let us not fight against God. When there arose a great dissension, the commander, fearing lest Paul might be pulled to pieces by them, commanded the soldiers to go down and take him by force from among them and bring him into the barracks. Oh, verse 11, And uh, but the following night the Lord stood by him and said, Be of good cheer, Paul, for as you have testified of me in Jerusalem, so you must also bear witness at Rome. All righty. Thank you, Mike. Let's go ahead and bring the outline up here real quick. And we've got a chat room question we'd like to share briefly with the chat room. And let me get that dropped into place here real quick before we read it. All right, I've dropped it into the truth into the YouTube. If someone wants to drop it into Facebook, that would be much appreciated. Here is the... Sorry, I'm having to jump through a whole bunch of hoops <laughs> or windows here. So here's a chat room question. We'll bring it up now. So what part of the law of Moses, and think about this, what part of the law of Moses did the high priest violate when he ordered Paul to be struck in the mouth? Okay, now you might get this answer probably from a footnote or a cross-reference in your Bible. What part of the law of Moses did the high priest violate when he ordered Paul to be struck in the mouth? All right, Mike, let me go ahead and throw the first question here at you. Do you have any thoughts on Paul's rebuke of the high priest? I've got a couple of thoughts, and they go back into the early part of the book of Acts, actually into the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. There were two high priests, Caiaphas and Annas. And this Ananias seems to have risen uh, out of those two. And so Paul obviously would not have known who the high priest was. For such a long time, the Jews had disrespected God's law of having just one high priest at a time that who knew who really was the high priest. So when Paul said, I, I, I do not know, brethren, that he was the high priest, it's written, you should not speak evil of a ruler of the people. That's somewhat of an apology to Paul, but yet at the same time, Paul had no right to have been brought up in this accusation against these people. Um, he, uh, this, this just surely shouldn't have happened. And so he's speaking to him as a magistrate, not necessarily the high priest of Israel. You know, Mike, that does make sense. Um, one one uh, commentary I was kind of looking at yesterday suggests that maybe um, because they were called together so quickly, he might not have had on the garb of the high priest. That's correct. As, as a you know, as a possibility there as well. Uh, but that makes sense. Makes sense. All right, well, let's move on then to the next one. Paul, I'll throw this one to you. How did Paul create dissension between the Pharisees and the Sadducees? Well, John, as I was reading this, I, I found that this seemed to be a very shrewd move on the part of Paul uh, because he tells something that's absolutely true. He says that this is a resurrection issue. Uh, when uh, Mike read that for us there, uh, he says that it is uh, concerning the hope and resurrection of the dead that he is being judged. And so uh, while 
it is absolutely true. It's it's the resurrection of Christ uh, that's being talked about, and the hope that Christians have uh, in Christ. Uh, that's going to get the Pharisees and the Sadducees stirred up against one another because of the difference of their understanding concerning the resurrection. Well, now, let me ask you this. Sure. You don't think the Pharisees with this group believed in the resurrection of Jesus Christ, but more in, in just the general resurrection of the dead? Yes, I, I, I do believe that uh, as we look at this, Paul's probably trying to get them focused on, on the topic of resurrection in general, but he's ready to talk to them certainly about Christ. Sure. Uh, but uh, it, it is that topic that he, he kind of... Uh, shoves to the forefront uh, for them to discuss. Yeah, he, he really does. It's interesting. He's, I'm a Pharisee, the son of a Pharisee, concerning the hope and resurrection of the dead. I am being judged. You know, and that you're right. That's kind of the spark there. And they'll end up saying, hey, there's nothing wrong with this guy. <laughs> you know, you know, undoubtedly, Paul wants to go ahead and, and continue preaching, doing the work that he's doing. And, and he doesn't want to be uh, bothered with this situation, I think. And so uh, certainly he's going to use it if he can teach. But if he can um, identify himself as a Pharisee and saying this is about the resurrection, uh, it's certainly going to maybe take the heat off of him just oh, yeah. a little bit. I agree. I agree. Well, Tom, knowing the Pharisees did not accept Jesus, do you see anything odd about the, the latter part of verse 9? Let's get Tom up here for a moment. Uh, yeah, where where he talks about we find no evil in this man, but if a spirit or an angel has spoken to him, let us not fight against God. Uh, yeah. Uh, you look at the Pharisees as they're speaking about this, and one of the things I find interesting, uh, uh, building on what Paul is talking about, uh, uh, Paul's kind of exposing their corruption and in corruption and inconsistency in the way that they treat each other, you know, about these doctrinal matters and so on. And, and all of a sudden, because Paul brings up this difference, the Pharisees throw aside the problem with Paul and, and deal with their differences with the, with the, uh, the Sadducees and so on. And so it's from that standpoint that they make the de declaration. And it's kind of interesting that they make the same observation that Gamaliel made, I think, over in chapter 5. You know, uh, we better be careful before we fight against God if, if an angel has sent them. Yeah, it's it, to me. I just struck it as interesting. Now that he he professes to believe in the resurrection, they're they're willing to entertain that maybe a spirit or angel has actually spoken to him. You know, they've rejected everything, but now for this moment, they believe an angel. They're at least going to consider an angel or a spirit might have talked to him. Thought it was interesting. Um, anyone, what did the Lord say? Of course, what happened to Paul? He's going to get to go to Rome. Yeah, I thought this was interesting because, you know, there's been a lot of weeping and, and prophecies about about what's going to end up happening to him. And the Lord himself tells Paul, that's where you're going to go. So, yeah, yeah. very, yeah, very, and, very. And, and basically the point he's making is you're not going to die. You're not going to die here in Jerusalem. You yeah. know, so, you, so you just stand up and say what needs to be said. I'm, I'm not done with you. I have some more things that need to be done. That's right. That's right. All right, so real quick, on the chat room question, we didn't have any uh, answers, at least none that I pop, that popped up. 
the Bible, uh, one of the Bibles I was studying from yesterday put a cross-reference regarding this command, do you command, um, when, he, when he calls them whitewashed walls, because he commanded someone to strike him, and it points it over to Leviticus chapter 19, verse 35. And let's see if I can bring that up here real quick. Leviticus 19, verse 35. And essentially, if it's the verse I'm thinking about, it talks about treating someone in, a, in, a, in an unjust or an unjust fashion. Notice this here. He says, You shall do no injustice in judgment in measurement of length, width, or volume. That's not quite the right verse that I, I saw. But anyway, in the passage that I had seen in the other reference, it, it, it kind of attributed to that. In the matters of judgment, you're not to be impartial, and you're not to deliver an unjust or treat someone in an unjust fashion. And I think that's probably what he's referencing here in this particular uh, passage here. Looking at it again, let me look at this reference well, here. Well, John, Exodus, ahead, Exodus 22 and verse 28. That's it. You shall not revile God nor curse a ruler of your people. No, no, that's not it. That that's for the one where um, he he reviles the high priest. What I'm referencing is when Paul calls them whitewashed walls and hypocrites. Oh, okay, so yeah, because he says God will strike you, you whitewashed wall, for you sit in judgment. Um, for you sit to judge me according to the law, and do you command me to be struck? contrary to the law. And so, in other words, the way Paul was being treated was in a very in, unjust fashion um, when, when they struck him here like that. Okay, so. All right. Under the law, they weren't to go ahead and enact any type of punishment yeah. until they first had proven the, the condemnation. And Paul hadn't, Paul hadn't even been examined yet, and already they're smacking him. Uh, that, that was just an unjust movement on, on the priest's part. And therefore, Paul, number one, didn't know for sure that Ananias was the high priest. He confesses that. And number two, this high priest isn't acting like a high priest anyway. How, Paul, how would Paul have known that he was by his conduct? So it, the, the whole thing is simply because these folks don't like Paul preaching truth. And... Right. Uh, yeah, and and I and and the statement that's made there. I've lived in all good conscience before God to this day. What is so blasphemous about that? You know, what is so disrespectful about making that statement? I mean, you know, I, it, it just this all just baffles me. I, there's there's some things that I think we have to speculate on in this text because we don't know. Yeah. Well, th this was a very problems. unjust meeting anyway. You know, because they're 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 getting them from the tribune or, or wanting or the the commander. You know, and they're trying to bring these charges against him. The commander's going to say there's nothing wrong with him. He's not done anything wrong. It's all about their laws. And I think they realize, like you, they had no leg to stand on. And if Paul kept quiet, they might be able to bring a charge against him. But as long as he spoke, there would be no charge proper, because there was none. Let's go ahead and jump into the next section here. So let's go ahead and read verses 12 through 22. Paul, if you would, read that section for us. Be happy to do that, John. Did you say 12 through 22? Yes, please. 
we'll be happy to. And when it was day, some of the Jews banded together and bound themselves under an oath, saying that they would neither eat nor drink till they had killed all. Now there were more than 40 who had formed this conspiracy. They came to the chief priests and elders and said, We have bound ourselves under a great oath that we will eat nothing until we have killed Paul. Now therefore, now you therefore, together with the council, suggest to the commander that he be brought down to you tomorrow, as though you are going to make further inquiries concerning him. But we are ready to kill him before he comes near. So when Paul's sister's son heard of their ambush, he went and entered the barracks and told Paul. Then Paul called one of the centurions to him and said, Take this young man to the commander, for he has something to tell him. So he took him and brought him to the commander and said, Paul the prisoner called me to him and asked me to bring this young man to you. He has something to say to you. Then the commander took him by the hand, went aside and asked privately, What is it that you have to tell me? And he said, The Jews have agreed to ask that you bring Paul down to the council tomorrow, as though they were going to inquire more fully about him. But do not yield to them, for more than forty of them lie in wait for him, men who have bound themselves by an oath that will neither eat nor drink till they have killed him. And now they are ready, waiting for the promise from you. So the commander let the young man depart and commanded him, Tell no one that you have revealed these things to me. Thank you, Paul. I appreciate that. Um, there's an interesting icon. Okay, so whenever we do a chat in amongst ourselves, that little orange button lights up on the bottom. <laughs> All right, I need to remember that. So, Paul, let me throw the first question here uh, to you, if you would, sir. And this, well, yes, let sir. me before let me do the chat question before we do that. So, in a similar fashion to the forty men, this is for the chat room. In a similar fashion to the 40 men who took an oath not to eat food until Paul was killed, what Old Testament character had made a similar hasty oath? Think about that. What similar Old Testament character made the same type of hasty oath? And um, I'll give you a hint. There was uh, kind of a similarity between the way the names sounded, Paul and this other individual. So... Paul, in this section here that we're looking at, what what was the plan to uh, what was the plan to ambush Paul? Well, there were some people, I, I suppose, that they just felt that they had had enough of Paul and, and what he was doing and and uh, his preaching and what he stood for, and so more than forty of them banded together and said, "Here's our oath." We are going to fast. We are not going to eat or drink anything until Paul's dead. Uh, it's occurred to me, as I've studied this previously, uh, I wonder if they, uh, how long they tried to keep this oath, uh, because uh, obviously they were unsuccessful in this. But then they send and say, why don't you call for Paul again? Talk to the chief priest and talk to the council. Why don't you call Paul uh, as if you're going to ask him some more questions? And after you get him there, then uh, are on his way, he's never going to make it. That's what I'm trying to say. He's never going to make it. We will kill him before he gets there. Um, the secret's revealed, and we, we know how the rest of the story goes here. 
but uh, the plot does not work out successfully. But they are adamant. They want an end to Paul. Okay. And, you know, you're right about that. It doesn't give a time frame. Um, and I figure they probably gave up pretty quickly once they realized that he was out of the city. You know, would, would be would be my guess. But, yeah. Uh, they, they took oath seriously, I, I would think. And we'll talk about the answer here in a moment to the chat room question. Uh, but, Tom, real quick, who overheard the plan? Tom, you might be muted. Yeah, I am. Uh, okay. I, and I was gonna say, it was uh, it was overheard by his, uh, I guess it'd be his nephew, his sister's son. Yeah. Yeah, he overheard that, and he goes to the barracks, and he talks to Paul. He warns Paul uh, about this, and then Paul deals with it. You know, Tom, does it appear to you in the way the text reads, the way the commander dealt with uh, the, the son, that he might have been, and this is a big old assumption and speculation that he might have been younger you talking about the commander no the, the yeah how the, the the young boy being younger yeah the way the commander oh, yeah. Dealt well with yeah him. taking him by the hand i i you know i i see him as a a, a nine or ten year old something like that maybe yeah, a know, kid maybe a little more yeah yeah i wondered about that i thought that was interesting um the way that reads he took him by the hand and took him aside separately yeah. And kind of talked to him about it. Um, that way, no one, I'm assuming, no one could influence him. Paul couldn't coax him, nothing like that. It would be all his own testimony there. Something to right. think about. Um, now, Maya, uh, yeah, go ahead. the New King James does use the expression, bring this young man to you. Yeah, it does. It does. And, and, uh, and, uh, I mean, and and I could see it. Like you said, you got the picture there of a of a of a child or something like that. But it would be possible that this was a teenager or something. He just grabs, say, "Come here to the side." Yeah. You know, you know, and and talk to me privately. Yeah. So, I wonder about there's that. There's all kinds of options. Um, any I, other thoughts? In fact, with this, here's here's Paul's sister's son, uh, knowledgeable of Paul's situation here. How'd she find out? Uh, how how did this news get around that the nephew all of a sudden finds this out? And and the, and the second aside here is this uh, this family cared enough about Paul to say, hey, let's do what we can to protect Uncle Paul here. Uh, so you you've got a physical side of compassion here, and certainly uh, from back at verse eleven, you've got God's guidance in all this. Paul's not going to get hurt. You've got you've got friends, you've got family, you've got God. Paul's going to come out of this okay. Yeah. I agree. I agree with that, Mike. Um, any other thoughts or comments on this section before we go to the chat room? All right. So the question we sent to the chat room earlier was this. So in a similar fashion to the 40 men, who took an oath in the Old Testament not to eat or drink until they accomplished a certain task? And um, Gregory just sent us the, the answer. Did not Saul swear to kill David after he killed Goliath and the people praised David? Yeah, in the case in point with King Saul, that's exactly right. Once, once Saul's heart turned against David, and that, of course, happened when the Spirit of the Lord left Saul and went to David. Saul then sought... Um, bear with me just a moment. Wrong story. Saul was still king. 
And they were fighting, I think it was the Amalekites. And Thomas says, First Samuel chapter 14. And he swears no one will either drink anything until they have victory. And Tom, who was the one that violated that order? It was it was Jonathan uh, Saul's son. It was, and, and and he was ignorant. He didn't know. I mean, he, he was. I guess you could say he was innocent in what he did. Yeah, I love the way Jonathan answers when they when they challenge him on it. Hey, look, I feel a lot better. Or he says, "Look, my countenance is so much better." You know, eating the honey there. Um, any other thoughts on that? All right. So let's then jump to the last section here. And that last section is going to start us with verse 23. And Tom, I think you are the next one to read for today's study. So let's read Acts chapter 23, verses 23 through the end of the chapter. All right. Okay. So we have here. So the Lord saved Israel that day, and the battle shifted to Beth. Oh, excuse me. That's wrong. <laughs> wrong story. <laughs> okay. Uh, yeah, I was reading from 1 Samuel 14. Okay. Uh, uh, it says, And he called for two centurions, saying, Prepare 200 soldiers, 70 horsemen, and 200 spearsmen to go to Caesarea at the third hour of the night, and provide mounts to set Paul on, and bring him safely to Felix the governor. He wrote a letter in the following manner. Claudius, Lysias, greetings. This man was seized by the Jews and was about to be killed by them. Coming with the troops, I rescued him, having learned that he was a Roman. And when I wanted to know the reason they accused him, I brought him before the council. I found out that he was accused concerning questions of their law, but had nothing charged against him deserving of death or chains. When it was told me that the Jews lay in wait for this man, I sent him immediately to you and also commanded his accusers to state before you the charges against him. Farewell. Then the soldiers, as they were commanded, took Paul and brought him by night to Antipartus. The next day they left the horsemen to go on with him and returned to the barracks. When they came to Caesarea, and had delivered the letter to the governor, they also presented Paul to him. And when the governor had read it, he asked what province he was from. When he understood that it was from Cilicia, he said, I will hear you when your accusers have come. And he commanded him to be kept in Herod's Praetorium. All right, Tom, I appreciate you reading that for us. We'll get back to that here in just a moment for the chat room. Here is... The following question for your consideration today. Um, there we go. How do we know the commander view, viewed Paul as somewhat important? All right. How do you know the commander viewed Paul as somewhat important? And so I think we're going to be pushing our time limit here, according to Gregor. And I don't see a timer running on the Zoom meeting so hopefully it'll start yelling get waving a red flag at me or something or another so in this section is very simple in the breakdown process here we have here that the commander he wrote a letter to felix the governor um and of course the letter breaks down the charges and it's interesting that he observes that these charges really had nothing to do with the roman law but the charges had everything to do with their own law and, and their writings and so forth 
And it really wasn't his, you know, he was just the commander. It needed to be dealt with by someone in a higher capacity. And he sends it on, of course, to Felix. And we'll read more about Felix a little bit later. Um, we have individuals who are escorting Paul. And Tom, since you read this, how many people went with Paul to escort him? Uh, it, it, it says uh, two centurions, which would, which would have been 200 right there. You have 200 soldiers. It says 70 horsemen, 200 spearsmen to go to Caesarea at the, the third hour of the night. So, so basically there were 40 men, and he provides uh, more than, or was it 40 men or 70, whatever it was. He provides, he provides about 10 times the amount of armed yeah. soldiers to escort Paul. Uh, nobody was going to stop this. They yeah. were ready. I want. I think we told about 470, yeah. you know, at least the first leg of the journey. Yeah. And um, then once they get to Antipas, they continue on with the, the journey. And Paul, how many people goes with him? John, I got distracted. Uh, if you'll pass that question, please. Oh. From Antipas onward to Caesarea, how many of the soldiers went? We know all of them went from Jerusalem to Antipas, and then the next day, all a smaller number continued. Yes. Uh, yeah. Let's see. I think it's two hundred. I didn't. I didn't catch that in in the reading. And oh, I'm sorry. Uh, I, was, <laughs> I apologize. No, you're you probably talk, yeah, helping yeah, me watch the time. You're talking about like verse thirty-one. Yeah, verse thirty-one, which just says the soldiers. The next yeah, day, but, yeah. If you back it up to 23, you start out with 472. And by the time uh, by the time they get to Felix, uh, it just says the soldiers. So the, the crowd has diminished, but you've still got well over 200 guarding one man. They, they think this guy's pretty important, mostly yeah. because he's Roman, but also because he has caused such controversy among the Israelite leaders. And so there's something about this guy. They're not going to cut him loose. Uh, but yeah, 200, 200 at least here around him. Yeah. And, and, and don't forget, they're also going to prevent, they're going to prevent trouble. That's true. That, that, Paul has shown himself to be pretty shrewd in his dealings. And, and I think that that is a big part of this. Uh, and uh, they don't take him, as you mentioned, John, there lightly. Uh, I had sent you a note earlier, uh, and I was a little distracted that we got a notification that we have unlimited time now. Really? They okay. said that uh, you subscribed. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, what do you know? <laughs> I, I'll, I'll, I'll pay you a fourth of that bill, John. I, th I think I'll need to talk to somebody once we're done. <laughs> Take him up behind the shed. <laughs> All right. Well, that <laughs> I wondered why we're still going this long. So, um, let's do the chat que the, the chat question real quick, and then we'll slow down for a moment see if there's anything that we need to consider with this. The question we asked for the chat room is: How do we know the commander viewed Paul as somewhat important? And um, <coughs> Gregor sent a really good answer. I think even more more detailed than what I was even thinking. Um, Paul has declared his citizenship, and the I and the the ire of his Sanhedrin 
the ire of the Sanhedrin indicates Paul's importance. Yeah. Um, and you think about the number of soldiers sent to escort the Apostle Paul was was a you know, large sum, 470, I think, what we figured, at least got him halfway. But he did declare himself to be a Roman citizen, and that, and, and it wasn't a citizenship that he purchased. It was because he was born a Roman citizen within one of the Roman provinces. All right, any any thoughts or comments about this? You know, I I would just add to that that Paul, I think he declares he shows his integrity in this whole circumstance. I mean, I mean, the soldiers see that in the way Paul has dealt with the soldiers and the centurion. There's been enough time here that Paul could have acted up if he was a troublemaker. Yeah, but he hasn't. Yeah. You know, and and and, and you know, Roman soldiers—they know the corruption of the religious leaders, and, and you know, they, they know their intents and stuff. They've been they've been around long enough, and and they see their behavior and so on. So I mean. Uh, that gives them reason to protect Paul even more when you add to the fact that he is a citizen and everything yeah. else. Yeah, that's a good point. That's a good point. Um, any other thoughts on this? I, I, let's let's have our viewers uh, kind of underscore in their notes about these 40 men that take a vow that they're not going to eat or drink till they've killed Paul. Uh, just as an interesting sidelight, keep an eye on those 40 guys and see what happens to them as this journey continues. They're going to be mentioned again in another chapter or two. And uh, it just is curious as to how intent these guys are. But as Tom suggested a little while ago, you kind of got to wonder if they cheated on this vow. I would think they did myself. I'd pretty well, uh, yeah, they'd have to. Yeah. Are they <laughs> found... They may have found some poor sap named Paul. Hungry and mighty, mighty lean, yeah. or they cheated the vow. Yeah. <laughs> or maybe among the 40, there was some guy named Paul, and they just offered him up. I, I don't know. I doubt that. I doubt yeah, I do that. too. <laughs> That's a good point, Mike. Well, um, I like Zoom. I, you know, I've, I've heard a lot about it, and we've never really – I was. it's going to be either this or Skype. But Zoom seems to be a lot better. Um, I was uncertain initially when I was first looking into it. I didn't know how much control you had over it. Um, but there's this uh, this group of guys that do a video. They have a web, um, a Facebook page. Church Media Guys, I think, is what they call their Facebook page. Anyway, I followed one of them for a while. And, and he did a special video on using Zoom for things like this. And when I watched that, I realized, okay, so Zoom will do like Hangouts did. The speaker pops up over everybody else, you know, so the auto switches like that. Or we could probably choose to do the Brady Bunch style square by square, you know, something other like that as well. And I could record John, it using uh, for, Zoom. But... For those who are watching us, ahead, uh, one of the, the nice things about this is if they've noticed that our video quality has not been as nice as it should be, we were going through all kinds of discussion about that, that maybe it was yeah. a bandwidth on one of the people or, or some complicating factor. Uh, well, what we find is that we have the same number of guys, uh, but yet the video quality maintains itself through the use of this particular product. Well, that's right. I thought it was Shelton. I mean, <laughs> not Shelton himself, <laughs> but, but Shelton being, being in, in the next room <laughs> over on Hangouts with us, 
But as soon as we started hangouts today, it looked very poor quality. Yeah. Yeah. So that that told me we need to do something different. And so Seems to be a hangout issue more than a bandwidth in Oklahoma mm-hmm. issue. Yeah. The hangout has a hangout, so we hung up on the hangout and zoomed in on Zoom. Yes. Okay. Now he's doing commercials. It's probably time <laughs> to stop. <laughs> All right. Well, listen, I appreciate you having, your pa- having patience with us today in our study. Um, we will consider then Acts chapter 24 next week. And I think, who's down for Acts chapter 24? I believe I am. Okay. So the Apostle Paul will be covered in Acts chapter 24 by the disciple Paul, who is part of the Truth Factor discussion and preaches in Ellettsville, Indiana. Sound about right? Yes, sir. All righty. Well, listen, we'll let you go. We're, we're actually done with the study. We appreciate so much your attention, and we'll continue this. And, you know, we're not too far from the end of the book of Acts. And we've got something that, guys, we need to talk about if you have a couple extra minutes um, of what we're going to do once we um, finish the book of Acts. So stay tuned for that. We'll announce it here in a couple of weeks of what we're going to be doing next in this study. So join us next week. If anything goes according to plan, Next Wednesday at 11 o'clock a.m. Central Time. That's noon in the Eastern Time Zone. 9 a.m. Pacific Time. That's right here at live.truthfactor.com. Have a wonderful week.